So let's start with a little bit of meditation. And one of the things to consider, of course, is that first we make ourselves comfortable. I'm going to do a little to make myself comfortable here. And then when we get our body settled, we close our eyes and we really start to tune in to our breath or whatever meditation object you tend to use. And we want to take some time. So if we're tuning into the breath and really noticing the whole in-breath, being present with it, as soon as it begins, as soon as the body starts to take in the air, and then when the in-breath ends and there's that little space before you breathe out to really paying attention to each each little change and we can be aware that it's the breath is changing the whole time you know the whole in breath you can feel it coming in it's affecting the body the body is doing the breathing, of course, expanding. And there's that pause and then the breathing out. Now, for some people, this is immediately calming. And for some people, it's agitating to observe the breath. And in that case, I think there is some value in investigating that. You know, what is the, the cause of that tension? But that's another, another story, another topic. So, for people who have that that tension arising, if it if it goes away when we kind of guide the mind to relax and we start to feel this calm feeling coming through the body, then that's great. But if not, then there, it's good to take some time um, at a different time to really 
to really investigate what's going on with the relationship to the breath. But for now, if the breath is a comfortable object, we stay with it. And we don't let an in-breath or an out-breath go by without noticing that it's an in-breath or that it's an out-breath. Just gently and kindly being there present without any force. This is not a regimen. It's a, a gateway to being relaxed and calm and letting go. It's not a requirement. It's an opportunity. And as we breathe in and out, we can start to feel or imagine the breath going through the whole body. Okay, the whole body participating in the in-breath, just letting it fill. And then the body breathing out. Relaxing a little bit more each time we breathe out. The more we stay present with the breath and relax, the more beautiful the breath becomes. The more we feel that breath energy in our body. The more appreciation we may feel for the simple action of breathing. There is a, a kind of spiritual connection through the breath. And so we calm the whole body. And then we notice the feelings that come with this calm attention that we're giving to the breath. To the whole body breathing.
What we've entered is really a sacred space. It's the space of the mind relieved from the distractions and the pressures that it's ordinarily dealing with. And it's settled in this space of the simple in-breath and out-breath. And if there are no distractions and the mind is able to become settled and calm, we can just relax more and more and let the process of meditation itself take over. All we do is stay present to it. You know, we might reflect on whether or not there are any hindrances at the moment. Wanting something. Wanting to get rid of something or some kind of negativity. Dullness drowsiness, restlessness, regret or doubt. And maybe none of those are present. In which case we can just breathe, and enjoy the time, the timeless. If any of those hindrances are present, we can Perhaps give the mind something a bit more powerful. Maybe reflecting on peace, reflecting on love, reflecting on compassion. Something that really inspires the mind. the Buddha, 
the Dhamma. The availability of enlightenment to those practicing. From the time of the Buddha and still today. the exquisite beauty of virtue and generosity. And whatever really calls to the heart, pulling it away from the worldly concerns and mind states that hamper our progress, hamper our wisdom, and instead lifts up the mind, that which really lifts up the mind. spiritual friendship,
Sorry, that sounded a little earth shattering on this side. I hope it wasn't too bad for you. <laughs> so today I wanna to talk about ill will, the hindrance that's usually listed as the second one. And, um, you know, one of the things that's said about it sometimes is that it's the easiest one to deal with. I don't know. I think it depends on whether or not one's character is kind of bent in that direction, because sometimes ill will can be quite challenging. And I want to say that ill, ill will can have a, a pretty strong um, kind of meaning sometimes actually wanting something, some kind of misfortune for someone else, but it can also be a bit more mild, you know, um, irritation or just some kind of negativity. And so we want to consider the whole range of those of those options: hostility, you know, resentment. Anger, conceit, contempt, disregard, disdain. When the Buddha talked about ill will, you know, and he gave these um, similes or images of how you know water appears. Like if you look into a, a clear pond that's very still, you can see your reflection accurately, clearly. But if you look into um, some water that's boiling, uh, you can't see yourself clearly. And he said, that's the way it is with ill will. So all of the hindrances weaken wisdom. And when we are struggling with this kind of you know, negative mind states, we can't see clearly. And we miss out on so much of what's beautiful around us, within us. And the, the deep peace of meditation, of course. So I want to talk about ill will, uh, kind of, I think I have maybe three points I really want to make. And the first one is around whether or not we think there's a value in any of the negative mental states. Because we actually, especially in this culture, can often have this idea that there's a value in anger or um, in some of these other mental states, I'm going to share a little bit about that and invite you to really take a look at that because we can hold that kind of idea in the back of our mind that keeps us from letting go and keeps us from making the effort that we need to make in order to relinquish or be freed from ill will. And that's the second point, you know, 
how do we um, let it go? You know, how does how does that work? Um, and you know, looking at when maybe there's only going to be two points. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. But on this first one, you know, like one thing you could consider is whether what what is the nature of um, the kind of negative mental states you might encounter in your own mind. But for myself. I can't really recall ever wishing some kind of misfortune or a bad result for someone, which I feel fortunate in. But of course, there's the whole range available to all of us in terms of these feelings and, and mind states. And one really important point is that we not feel bad or heap some more negativity on the fact that we experience these mental states. It's like every other kind of feeling. We just want to be present with it. Um, understand, rec recognize its presence and be kind to ourselves around it so that we're not complicating the, the challenge um, by adding more negativity. So that's one piece. But when we really look at whatever it is, um, are we really somewhere in the back of our mind thinking there's value in it? And I found um, an article, actually a couple of them. Um, one from the American Psychological Association that says, when anger is a plus. And just uh, like a couple of sentences from that. It says, um, yet the red hot emotion has a positive side, say psychologists who study anger. In studies and in clinical work, they find anger can help clarify relationship problems, clinch business deals, fuel political agendas, and give people a sense of control during uncertain times. I just consider that for a minute. Has that been your experience? And the Buddha doesn't agree with this. Uh, and we'll talk about why. And then the other article I found was the right way to get angry and said, anger is a tool that helps us read and respond to upsetting social situations. But how can we stop, stop it from getting out of hand? So that was their approach. Um, this is actually from uh, UC Berkeley. And it was uh, an article that was written some time ago. And anger is, they say, in itself, neither good nor bad. It's what you do with it that matters. Anger is best viewed as a tool that helps us, you know, like I said, read, read and respond to those situations. 
research overwhelmingly indicates that feeling angry increases optimism, creativity, effective performance. The research suggests that expressing anger can lead to more successful negotiations in life and on the job. It says, in fact, repressing anger can actually hurt you. And it goes on to talk about how if people repress anger, they might um, have more illnesses like bronch bronchitis or heart attacks. And it says when anger arises, um, we feel called upon to prevent and terminate immediate threats to our welfare. And uh, it goes on to kind of say altruism is often born from anger. But when it comes to mobilizing other people and creating support for a cause, no emotion is stronger than anger. It's a mistake to presume that kindness, compassion, love, and fairness line up on one side of a continuum and anger, rage, dislike on the other side. Positivity alone is insufficient to the task of helping us navigate social interactions and relationships. A healthy society is not an anger-free society. And then it starts to talk about the cautions of um, the problems we can get into using anger. So I'm sure this is not news to any of you, but it's interesting to really look at from the perspective of Dhamma, because this, these are common kind of things that we think of in our society. So what did the Buddha say about this? Well, he, he never um, praised or condoned anger. And I think what's missing in the understanding is that it's not, I agree with the article that it's not that those positive um, emotions are on one side and anger on the other, but there's something else that's missing here and it's wisdom. So when we feel threatened or when we're in a situation where anger arises, the Buddha suggested that we see anger as, as a problem, not a solution. And that the problem with it is that it weakens our wisdom, that it, that it drives um, actions and aggressiveness in a way that doesn't really lead to positive results in the long run. It's true that all of our emotions can help us understand better what's happening to us but then we don't want to act upon them in a way that's going to lead to more trouble and problems for ourselves and others right of course so when we look at what's really happening in the situations that these articles are describing is that there's a lack of understanding of how to bring up energy and commitment and action and um, really inspiring um, skillful ways of talking to one another when we're in the throes of some kind of challenge. 
So I think there are inspiring, skillful ways to negotiate a salary or bring people together and inspire them to take action that are way, way better than using anger. And you may already feel this way. Um, and I think a lot of it is around wisdom. So when we, um, when we, when we have wisdom in a situation, we have clarity around what's happening. And when there's clarity and the ability to find a means for working with what's happening that's peaceful but strong and clear, and then the, the solution doesn't have the same kind of toxic fallout that it has when we use negative emotions. And, you know, like, we can see how the Buddha did this. It wasn't like he was always sweet and gentle. He can be very strong and firm, but it was always through truthfulness and wisdom. It was never out of anger. And it's the, the boiling water tells us, okay, when we're working from negativity, we're not seeing things clearly. And this is the point. So looking at, okay, is there some attachment I have to the negative mind states that arise? Am I using them in some way for protection or a perceived protection? It never, it never pans out in the end that you're safer. You're safer with virtue and compassion and wisdom and clarity and equanimity, all of those qualities of the Buddha. It really encourages us over and over again to cultivate. It's like when you look at the, um, the sutta on the highest blessings and you see all of those choices that we can make in our life. And then at the end, you live this way, you're safe wherever you go. And that's true. But if we live coming from negativity and anger, we're not safe anywhere. And that's the reality. So then how do we work with this? And then once we understand that it's a problem, then we can start to tease apart where the attachment is to it. What is the value I think I'm gaining from having these mental states? Now you may say, well, I don't see any value, but I'm still plagued by these things. And sometimes our karma is very strong with regard to these things. And we need to use those methods that the Buddha gave for counter counteracting them. You know, really, really developing the, the heart qualities that cause the anger, the resentment, the ill will, etc., the irritation to dissolve. And especially with something like irritation, what we can easily notice is that we want things to be different than they are. Um, 
one of the articles I was reading was talking about how it's um, perfectly okay to be angry when someone's annoying you. It's good to let them know that, you know, how you feel. And it's like, well, it's, it can be important to let people know how we feel, but do we really have to be upset at all if we feel irritated? Is it really about someone else annoying us? <laughs> no. These are the questions, <laughs> you know, who's really got the responsibility for this. And so when we, when we are meditating, we experience this negativity. There are a few different possible approaches. And just like when I was giving the guided meditation, I talked a little bit at the beginning about you know, sometimes people have difficulty being present with their breath and how it takes some work, but it's not the work done during meditation. It's the work done outside of meditation to really be present with what's going on and really look into maybe the trauma that has occurred in one's life and find some help in working that through and taking, taking the time and really bringing a tremendous amount of kindness and support to oneself internally and externally to look at that. And we have to do the same thing with these negative mental states. Take the time to really, really be present with what is underlying them. Or what do we want to have be different? Or what has been the conditioning that we know of, let alone all the conditioning that we don't know of from previous lifetimes, that makes this the pattern, the habit that arises. And I've seen so much change in this regard, in myself and, and in other people. There, this stuff really is not set in stone. When we, when we work with it, when we observe it, when we bring, when we bring an att kind of attention to it that helps it shift and fade and dissolve and maybe break away, um, it, it really does have a lasting effect. So there's that work off the cushion, you might say. And then there are the things that we can do while we're meditating. If we already understand a pattern that we have, we know we really don't need to dig further into what's going on there. It's just the recurring old comma. First of all, recognizing, yeah, this is just old stuff from the past. And then oftentimes, really strengthening those hard qualities, those Brahma Viharas, really strengthening um, our appreciation for our own goodness can be the way to really send send this kind of stuff, um, you know, away from us out. <laughs> it's funny, even as I say that, it has a ring of uh, aversion to it. So <laughs> don't go there. <laughs> it's very easy to think, I want to get rid of this. <laughs> but that's not the way. The way is being present with it and, and um, really supporting the mind with clarity and kindness.
And sometimes, I know I've told this story a number of times before, sometimes we can have a, a really difficult relationship and have a kind of a, um, built up negativity with someone. And, you know, maybe the best thing is to step away from the relationship for a while or, or you know, just not engage, which is what happened with my mother her sister-in-law, she and her sister-in-law were having, it was a, a pretty awful kind of um, interactions. It not My my mom didn't um, respond back in a negative way, but she would always feel so hurt by things. And she really had tremendous negativity towards her sister-in-law. And then she started coming with me to visit monasteries and spending time in Thailand. And she picked up the practice of loving kindness and her way of practicing was to really wish this long, long, long list of people well. <laughs> and um, without even really thinking about it, something shifted because when she was back in her hometown and one of the relatives passed away and she called me up and she said, I want to go to the funeral to see everyone, but I don't want to see my sister-in-law. So I think I'm not going to go. And then the next phone call I got was, you know, I went to the funeral and when I saw her across the room, I just walked over and I said hello and I didn't feel any negativity at all. <laughs> And it's like, yeah, this is great. This this works, you know. And she wasn't even trying to like work on that specifically. It's just like the change of heart that comes with the practice and and developing these good qualities can can sometimes be enough. And then of course when we sit down to meditate, um Maybe we have some other hindrance to work with, <laughs> but that one is a lot better. So those are some thoughts on this ill will issue. And now I'd like to hear what questions you have or comments. That's usually where all the really good stuff comes out. <laughs> Oh, thanks for that talk. That something I'm struggling with lately is ill will. <laughs> um, but everything you said makes sense. But I, one thing I wanted to say was that, like, I agree that anger does get you things, but I think at a really bad cost. You know, like, sure, I was getting like really angry <laughs> when you're reading off all those positive statements, and I said, you know, yeah, that's true, but. If I look at an office where you have a manager yelling and screaming at people, be on time, do your work. Yeah, people are going to do that because they're terrified of you. But you're going to have really high turnover, really unhappy employees. Their work isn't really going to be that good because they don't feel good about themselves. So the cost of anger to me, like when I see that happening in an office and you see it all the time, mm -hmm. In the long run, the, the wisdom's not there. You're not treating people good. You, you actually are not getting good results. You're just getting a few little 
things that these angry people pick on, like time, being late, da-da-da. And in the long run, I, I don't think it works, you know? And so I think, to me, I'm in the process now of just looking at my anger and my irritation. And I can see how one-sided it is. You just look at all the negative qualities of the person and you never mm -hmm. see anything positive. And yeah, just working with that, learning to understand myself and my anger and the way it comes out and what I do with it. But yeah, no, to say that you get a benefit for it. I used to believe that too when I first started Buddhism. No way, I'm not giving up my anger. It gets me things, it works, it's, you know. But I, I totally see the downside of it, you know, because mostly you're focused out there. Look inside and see what's doing to you. It's, it's not good. Yeah. It's not good at all. So that's what I had to say about the will and anger. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Karen. It's so true. Um, and you see it in parenting, too. Um, parents who rule with the iron fist and the, the kids get out as fast as they can, you know, it's like, um, works on the short term, maybe. Yeah, thank you. Holly? It was interesting to listen to that talk and look back over my decades in handling anger. And um, it's, it's such a great analogy about the boiling water, and it's really great to consider it a problem. And I remember, and, and, I've used, and I use now, um, if someone calls me a dog, I have to, first I look to see if I have a tail. <laughs> Usually I have, you know, at least some kind of a tail. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and then I give, um, and that may take a while, you know, and then I give metta and loving kindness to myself and then to the person who got, got me angry, mm -hmm. um, followed eventually by investigation. And I just went through a thing a couple of days ago with a person that I care about deeply. And, and that's what I did in fits and starts since there's no timeline for it. Mm -hmm. And I, I look past my past um, anger spiked when I felt despair and hopelessness and at my wits end. And so it was more like a thrashing out at, mm -hmm. at having no tools or belief system that worked for me uh, and feeling alone with being at my wits end. And so now I walk around and I say, pay homage to the triple gem and Kalyanamitas. So that's been a, you know, a huge shift. Yeah. yeah. And then the third thing I wanted to share was that if I'm angry, like if I'm angry about something like land use, uh, conservation, I go out, Gene and I, go out and find a way to volunteer. Or windmills where I don't think they should be. And I go out and I write letters and I volunteer. Mm -hmm. Or if I, uh, <laughs> if I feel angry about the non-support for bakunis, as you've seen me do in the past, I become involved in supporting bhikkhuni ordination and those who support them. So those have just been real great um, methods for me. And then I have a question I've been wondering about how people are translating the idea of gentleness, because that's really uh, comes up for me a lot. And I don't hear it in the Buddhist translation. So I would love to hear your few words on that. Thank you. When you say translating gentleness, are you well, saying... Is there a word in Pali for gentleness? Hmm. There must be. I don't 
I'm not, it's not coming to mind right now. Yeah. You know, being gentle and kind. There is, I'll look into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought early on when I started coming to monasteries and, you know, like, is it okay? I mean, I, I thought, you know, a Buddhist is just nice all the time, right? Then I was at Wapananachat once and Ajahn Jayasaro was the abbot and he said, um, I had to sack the guy who was building the kitchen and I thought, you actually fire people? Buddhists fire people? <laughs> Well, I was pretty naive. <laughs> Sometimes that's what you have to do. But it doesn't have to be done with ill will. It doesn't have to be done with negativity. And you don't have to spread, you know, um, bad uh, kind of press about the person, you know, unless there's some important reason to warn someone. And, you know, it's... it's um, it's really how it's done. And it, that clarity, that wisdom, that willingness, that strength that comes from being really grounded and clear and present and having a balance um, and not not driven by negative emotions. And then, of course, you know, we're talking about the negativity that we run into and we experience in life because when we sit down to meditate, we bring our whole life with us. We have to work on it in our life. And then we see these incredible good results as, you know, as we go. Yeah, Val? Um, when I heard your first, um, the first, uh, thing that you read about anger, the first list. And in there was um, to gain a sense of control. Anger helps to gain a sense of control. And I, I just kind of had a chuckle because it's like, oh, <laughs> control, really. You're expecting to have control in this world? <laughs> Interesting. Um, because I've found, of course, you know, of course, I've wanted to have control over all the things that have happened to me, but I've learned that I don't. And it's much more valuable and, and works much better just to turn within, you know, turn to myself for, um, you know, dealing with that, 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 I don't have control. Um, you know, I'm a human in this world and that sense of control is illusionary. So, yeah, so that was, that was, that struck me. Um, and then also I was trying to remember, I think I had a, a therapist once that had told me that anger was a secondary emotion Mm -hmm. um i was trying to remember if that was true or not or if i had misremembered no that's that's so true i mean i, I remember in um 
like a parent effectiveness training model, they talked about anger as the tip of the iceberg. And what's beneath it is usually fear or sadness. And this is why we should be really compassionate too, when, to ourselves and others. You know, like when we're really feeling desperate, as you know, others have been saying, we lash out. Um, we can look at when we're when we're having this um, ill will as a as a hindrance in the mind. You know, like what what is it that I'm feeling threatened by, or what is it that I'm that I'm confused by, or you know, just really un- trying to understand and having compassion, having compassion for people who are losing it. <laughs> Try to support them. Uh, I understand, I've heard in, um, from Ajans that in Thailand, people see when someone's angry, they they just like think the person's gone crazy. You know, that's a, that's per- that's a person being crazy and you stay far away from that <laughs> and you know it's true and um you know this path is about becoming sane um, at, at the most um incredible level <laughs> real sanity and real sanity also is filled with compassion and wisdom Thank you. Yeah, thank you, pal. Steve? Hi, I've I've spent a a few years thinking about this. It's it's kind of a common, uh, commonly arising thing. And uh, I guess one thing is that, you know, Anger wouldn't be here if it didn't have some evolutionary purpose, and, and it's it's kind of gotten us to a certain place. But even though that that may be true, it's um, we're in a, in a lot of ways we're what we're doing in the practice is trying to to counter those um, those kind of uh, delusionary um, impulses like that. But I was thinking about. Um, so many people and on ones that I, I I agree with and ones that I disagree with um, take an injustice and and then you've got the general apathy about it and so they try to um, get rid of the apathy by arousing anger at it um, and um, and you know making making good guys and bad guys out of it mm-hmm. um, and so then the, the question is, how else would you do it? And and I think the, the other example you get, not as often, but is, is someone that arouses compassion out of the, um, pointing out the injustice uh, as a way of um, touching people and, and bringing them into, bringing them out of the apathy about it in the... Yeah, just the inability to see it at all. Anyway, I'll stop there. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. So I don't think the Buddha would have thought that 
Well, anger is here because it's had some positive evolutionary value just to kind of like put that forward that human beings are caught in greed, hatred, and delusion. And anger is part of that. And it's, we have evolved or whatever, but if I look, we look back to the time of the Buddha, we're still dealing with the same stuff as was happening at least 2,500 years ago. So yeah, the whole package has evolved of human life and capability, but we're still caught up in this, you know, these defilements. And I think that seeing, and I know you know this, Steve, but just to kind of put a different spin on it a little bit, it's like what you're saying, I agree with. We, when we see that, um, we're working with these defilements. And if we use defilements to excite people and motivate them, there's going to be this negative fallout. We're still just mucking around in the same mess. We become, oftentimes we become like those who've been the oppressors. Because we haven't lifted up ourselves out of anything. And so it's through really seeing the spiritual qualities, the, the virtue, the training of the mind, the development of wisdom, the insight. It's really through that that we are able to respond able to appreciate what we're experiencing in a way that leads upwards, in a way that actually inspires people. So you look at the nonviolent movements, you look at Martin Luther King or, you know, people who really have the ability to inspire people to risk their lives, to you know, stand up for what's wholesome and good. And and then you can kind of, you can see the positive results that happen as from that. The person in the action of doing that, taking that that route, developing their own courage and strength, they come out of it better than they were before, no matter what happens to them. And this is this is what we need to do on our in our own life on our on a daily basis for ourselves, because we already have the the beautiful teachings and we have the beautiful examples, and we we can do this. And so you know, purifying our minds, purifying our lives of all these negative. Um, flavors of ill will this is part of what ennobles us this is part of how we develop as noble disciples and become free of this part of the suffering package <laughs> 
So thank you for those reflections, Steve. This is the kind of stuff that we need to reflect on and think about because this is what this is the world we are in. This is the this is the situation of human life. Thank you. In a way, you said a little bit of what I wanted to say, which is I wanted to ground it into the place of greed, hatred, and delusion, that it's like this these deep energies that we're working with and trying to uproot. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not so easy. And so the, the encouragement is helpful. And I am an anger type. And I can, I can say that the energy is really strong. And um, I'll say two ways that I've been thinking about it. This is something I, I got on a, uh, um, when I was sitting with Inalio last year, he's also an anger type. And um, that was helpful. And he, he pointed to the um, emptiness practices. And I found that really helpful to like really <clears throat> because that just changes the dynamic you know when the energy arises and he also said i when when the anger comes up really strong at that point it's too late you can't then like go sit down and try to practice emptiness that he's like at that point you have to like go for a jog or lift some weights or just like move the energy mm -hmm. um and I'll say that yesterday I was sitting on my deck and I saw this guy who was the man who instigated this um, process against my dog. That's an easy way to say it. And um, I just got just this coursing in my body. And this has been over now for quite a number of years. It resolved well enough. And yet, just coursing through my body. It was really strong. And I, I, I pulled that. I think it was something you were saying last week, just the line from the Metta Sutta, may I not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. And I just kept saying it to myself and saying it to myself because I really was on the edge of like confronting him, even though nothing was happening in the moment. And, but it took, even in, in that situation, it took so much determination and letting go and moving of the energy and trying to just like, you know, let that be the guiding principle and then not act. And then it did resolve much more quickly than if I had acted, which would have escalated all the energy. But I just wanted to like put in that it's, it's really hard and it's like, it's like, uprooting the poisons it's like uprooting it's like to uproot is like takes so much clarity of effort and determination and yeah that's yeah. it i have a thousand stories but that's enough of how to actually you know negotiate that energy not easy and i appreciate what you were saying too but you want to listen so that you can really understand it so that you can know what's important to be known and then act um, skillfully with that. So that's, that's it for me. Thank you. Thank you, Mira. Mm -hmm. It's so true. I mean, first of all, you had to have a very strong understanding 
that the negative emotions are toxic before you would even put in that effort to restrain yourself. And you had to have a very clear understanding that if you did something, like you said, if you had confronted him, look, it wouldn't have only brought up all that energy in you, but it would have been more fuel from him and back and forth and troubling your whole community. And oh my God, you know, it would have been a nightmare. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it is really hard. And it's also, like you said, once it arises, it's energy that you just have to like let you know, calm down that I love those bonfire images the Buddha gives, you know, if you keep throwing the dry sticks onto the fire, it's going to keep flaring. But if you stop it, <laughs> just stop throwing the sticks on, right? It will die out. Yeah, it may be warm for a long time, it may be hot, and then warm and then cool, but it's still going to die out. It's like learning how we fuel our negative feelings with our own thoughts yeah stop doing that right and then in the dying out there then is the dying out of self exactly the next point i was gonna make what is the emptiness no no not sorry this is great to make it together (laughs) even better yeah (laughs) the 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 not self the the emptiness practices are about what are you empty of? You're empty of self. That's what it comes down to. It's the empty of self. You know, when when we think, oh, I, I have to let people know how I feel. It's the I, the I, the me and mine. There's constant suffering with that. The end to it only comes from the uprooting. Yeah. If we can uproot the anger, we can uproot the desire we can uproot the delusion we've got to uproot the whole thing that's why we don't have like arahants everywhere we are (laughs) gotta really work at it you know and so yeah it's a beautiful example thank you link thank you aya um i really relate to all this talk um for me i found it's um so easy to kind of fall into this kind of ear well and um, but it feels so bad um it's harder to be kind but feels so great afterwards <laughs> and i um i had the, i've been making this vow and i don't want to have ear well um i but you know i can't help sometimes especially uh it comes to the resentment Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I, and I mean, today, since yesterday, I've been practicing meta meditation and towards one of my colleagues, and I have been helping her for years when she had a difficult time and divorce, but she turned into doing something very hurtful things. And yesterday again, and then I just couldn't stop thinking about, you know, I didn't, you know, say any harsh words to her or anything, but I just had those really kind of negative feeling. I know it's, it's me. It's not her. She's just trigger, but I've been doing this for years because she's been doing these things for more than two years, constantly giving me a lot of trouble. And she's kind of leaving 
near where I am, often I bump into her in a metro, she would come, I try to avoid not having the conversation or having kind of conversation, trying to give her matter, but almost like can't, cannot get, kind of, just kind of doomed. I know I was not skillful and I may been sitting for meta meditation and I think I've been softened than before, but I was quite afraid myself keep having this kind of resentment. Um, and I just wonder if any skillful means, yeah. I'm very hopeful about your mother's story. Um, mm -hmm. But I have been doing the meta for for a couple of years, I feel like I haven't improved much. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome, Lee. Meta may not be enough, and because it's, uh, you know, just it. Yeah. What's What's needed, in addition to meta, is the wisdom part, and that really comes back to seeing that when someone is unkind it's coming from defilement they're the ones who are it's there's there's suffering there and it's very important that we stop replaying the problem uh, stop replaying what they said or did and stop reinforcing the negativity in ourselves it's those thoughts. It's very hard to stop it, but we, we want to stop those thoughts, but we have to do something to help ourselves take a different approach. So part of it is remembering that it's like you said, you know that it's not what other people do that causes the problem in our own minds. And then we have to learn how to work with our mind so that we're not letting what other people are doing invade like i like the statement in the suttas where the buddha said i didn't let that invade my mind and remain we can take these kinds of phrases from the suttas and we can remind ourselves to not let this invade my mind and remain that it's it's a it's like toxic substance it's a poison and if we can Think about how it's not the person who's uh, being treated unkindly that has the problem. It's the person who's doing the unkind things. Even if someone, you know, takes a gun and shoots you, it's not your problem. If you die at the hand of some uh, mass murderer in a grocery store or someplace, it's not your problem. I know that sounds crazy on the on the surface but it's they're the ones that have the real problem and so these are the kinds of reflections that are important because we want to we want to reduce that sense of self we want to reduce that kind of um, being susceptible to suffering from someone else's action you know like like i really as many of you know i was very impressed by ajahn jayasaro's statement that we can't um 
be harmed psychologically by someone else unless we participate. Physically, yeah, someone can hurt you without your participation. But mentally, it's up to us. We, we have to look at how am I participating in making this painful for myself? What am I hearing, seeing that's causing me to feel bad? And then why? Really just staying with that, with that kind of process internally. This is what using feeding your demons or whatever these other, other kinds of models like rain. Um, that's a process that was developed by some of you know her name. I can't think of it at the moment. Um, Tara Brock. Thank you, Tara Brock. You know, you can you can read about these kinds of things and then just try to work with them. Uh, how do I look at this from the perspective of seeing, you know, what is it that really is bothering me about this? And how do I work with those feelings? How do I work with that, like, makeup of my mind? I mean, you know, anyone would would say, yes, if you're in a work situation where you've been helping someone out and then they turn around and maybe they get competitive and they kind of stab you in the back in some way or whatever it is that's going on, it's terrible. It's it's not the way people should act. But the reality is there are people who act like this all the time everywhere in the world. We only get upset when it's aimed at us. <laughs> Why? You know, we have to bring the wisdom to it. We have to bring, you know, all of the all of the tools, not just meta, the investigation. And it's helpful to talk with spiritual friends. People who are not going to say, yeah, that one, that one lady was really bad. She's doing this. And, you know, don't not somebody who's going to get on board with it <laughs> and, you know, say the same things that we say in our own minds to keep the fire burning. But to someone who's going to, you know, reflect on, wow, yeah, human beings have a lot of dukkha and they're really good at spreading it around. And we don't have to participate in that activity internally or externally. And so more wisdom practice, I think, would be helpful. Yeah. Thank you, Yaya. Yeah, you're welcome, Ling. James? Hi. Um makes a lot of sense what you were saying about the tie saying that someone whose anger is like almost mad you know i just think back to um this thing last year uh, when i got really quite disproportionately upset about something that someone said you know just sort of a typical situation to the extent that it sort of like really disturbed my sleep for a night and i was really sort of wound up about it and yet um Reflecting back on it not long later, it just didn't really make any sense. So it's, uh, it really is, is a kind of madness. And, um, and like uh, I did my first week long retreat uh, last year, and I, I found like it, 
the whole thing was basically ruined by that because like so much ill will end up coming up and and um well i won't bore you with the sort of like tiny little insignificant things that sort of brought out rage in me but uh i don't know i suppose it seems obvious that um the anger wasn't arising from these little things that were annoying me, but from something much larger. Can you say about there's the fear and sadness behind anger? So um, that was certainly the case. I mean, I think I think I do end up having suffering a lot of ill will, but I do think it's to do with um, because I find I find sort of find the world to be a threatening place. So it's kind of a, almost a response to it, really. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's it's a difficult one though because it's like like with um, anxiety and other things. It's you know when you're in the the grip the grip of the madness, uh, what what can you do? But I guess it's the work you do before then, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. and and like um, you know, Mayra was quoting Bantianalio. You know, you you have to have some mechanism, some some tool, some approach when you're in the grip of it, that you do something that's actually positive. Um, you know, like make that kind of go-to habit of, okay, um, when, when this, these heated emotions, whatever they are, come up, what can I do with my body physically with my mind to like stop throwing the fuel on the fire and let it calm down. And maybe that, you know, go for a run, go for a walk, lift some weights, you know, whatever, but not punching a bag, not a, not a, nothing that builds it up. What, what helps it to calm down. And, and then the thinking replacing the thinking um, with, not just a not just a replacement, but with wisdom, with the kind of wisdom we know is true. Because what's the fear about? What's the sadness about? You get to the bottom of it, and it's about this misunderstanding of self. And so, how are we gonna like start to let go of this me and mine? We've got to really go to the deepest part of the Buddha's wisdom. That there, you know. The, the banana tree, the palm tree, how he says you cut it off. And I saw it one time. It, they're hollow inside. It's just all those those um, pieces that fold around and around the tree that make it look like it's a solid tree. And it is. But, you know, you cut it and there's this, this empty inside. And that's what we are. All of this stuff that's in kind of like wrapped around we want to think we're solid and whole and gonna last forever and that's not how it is so you know it's like if we if we can come to grips with that what am i protecting what if what if i can see that there's nothing to protect there's nothing to lose no matter what the world does that's when we really that's where, so the Buddha's like, he wants us to be completely free of this delusion and we can be. So, you know, it's like when we take every opportunity, when something arises that we feel hurt by, or we feel angry about or whatever it is, we take every opportunity to turn the light around and see truth about self, about dukkha, 
you know, about about change. We're we're gonna we're gonna really see a huge difference, a huge relief. Thank you. Thank you, James. Okay, Serena and Ron. I'm very grateful for the reinforcement of these teachings from you today, Aya. Um, very grateful I I was able to be here and um, and everyone's comments. I've been nodding my way through the whole thing because as you know, Ron and I can attest as living examples of the wisdom and the power of these teachings when we do practice and we do learn and it's not easy to learn new tools, but I can say that if it were not for going through this and, and the help that you give us through these teachings, we would not be together. And certainly we would not be experiencing the joy and happiness of being together in our old age now. And also we would have left here, we would have moved to California to probably disastrous um, situation because we were annoyed by neighbors. And now we just don't go out to it. And we we don't even really know what we were so annoyed about. Um, the wisdom and transformative power is real. And I appreciate the reinforcement so much. And we, we've, you know, the, all the tools, one, the one we started with was we would just go, stop. And now I turn my hand to my face and go, stop. <laughs> <laughs> and it's an immediate reminder, as is our Buddha poster up on the, the wall. Mm -hmm. And um, we also are just lately memorizing this, the sutta, may I abide in well-being. Mm -hmm. And it's metta to me first. May I abide and be free from hostility and ill will yeah. and affliction. And then may everyone. But these tools work. Thank you so very much. Oh, thank you for sharing that, Serena. And thank you all for your practice. We give each other strength. And um, and yeah, we may have heard it a hundred times already, but if we're still dealing with it, I guess we got to hear it again. <laughs> okay, so I think that ends our program today. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.